Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're in Nehemiah, and uh, I hope you've been being blessed by Nehemiah. I've been so blessed by studying Nehemiah, by teaching Nehemiah. God's been doing a great work. And as we come to chapter 6 today, which Stephen read so beautifully, uh, my mind, I can't help but jump straight over to the book of Galatians. There are so many parallels between what's happening in 6 and so much of what Paul writes in his letters. So just come with me for for a minute to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, I'll just read from the beginning. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, so he's talking about law here, this is the idea of law and grace, uh, Christ will be of no value to you. So if you buy into what they're telling you you have to do to be accepted in Christ, you're actually going to miss it. Uh, again, I declare to every person who let, or every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ because you have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For Christ, in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now listen to this, verse 7. You are running a good race. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? There's a powerful word in Nehemiah 6, Galatians 5, and actually so many of Paul's letters about this whole idea of running. Remember, as we've been talking about Nehemiah, just to catch up, some of you maybe haven't been around for a little bit, we've been talking about the wall as being a kingdom type, which means the wall is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. But it's more than a metaphor because a type means that something actually happens. So it's a real thing, yes, It's a real wall, a real historical event. This actually happened. Nehemiah was a real person. But it also speaks prophetically to a greater picture. And so the wall is this picture of the kingdom of God. And that Nehemiah has rallied. Nehemiah, the messianic type, so the picture of Jesus, has rallied the people, the people of Judah, the Jews, which are a picture of the church. And he's rallied them to this kingdom work. And the wall has been going up. And as we just read in chapter 6, the wall has been, it's been basically completed except for its doors and its gates. Like this great work has been going on. And then old mate Sanballat rocks back up again with a really interesting 14 verses of Scripture. It reminds me a lot of 2006, my very first year of teaching when I uh, had my first ever sports day. Who remembers sports days, athletics days? Who loved a sports day? Betty, you would have loved a sports day. <laughs> athletics days, they're the best days, right? They're so much fun. You're out there, everyone's, everyone's into it. But you always had a handful of 
students, we'll just call them students for now, that's not what we called them at the time, there were other, other words that we used, who chose not to participate in a productive or proactive manner. Are you with me? They were a distraction to, the core, to what we were trying to achieve. And so what would happen is, is these people would always just cause issues. And so we had this fantastic idea that we would have a mascot race, that we would invite these people who chose not to participate to dress up as a mascot for their house and just to go all out. Well, like, like go as hard as you can, you know, foam heads, flags, paint, everything. Go the entire nine yards. And these guys embraced it with everything that they had. So they would fully dressed up and we said at the end of the day so you can be the mascots for your team you know be the rah-rah cheer them on lead all the energy and at the very end of the day we're going to line you up for a hundred meter sprint and we'll have the mascot race and it was working beautifully like no distractions it was so good there was such a beautiful energy in the place and other people chose to dress up and be mascots as well even though they weren't the real mascot they were the pretend mascot and uh Got to the end of the day, they're all lining up at the line, the entire school's there watching and they're all cheering and there's a lot of excitement the gun goes off and bang and off they run. Now just put yourself here for a minute. We are talking genuine mascot. So it's not just people with leotards, like there's, there's flag, there's stuff everywhere, there's big foam heads, there's, there's a lot going on. And they're running along, and as they're running along, there's this one guy who was in front who had this huge flag. It was a Malvin flag. That was the house. And he's just running along, and the crowd's going mad. He looks across to the crowd and just gives it one of these. <laughs> like a moment of real excitement and euphoria. But the problem was is he was holding a very large stick in his hand, flag. And as he went like this, he hit the person next to him who then lost control, bumbled into the person next to him who had a foam head and was struggling to stay upright as it was. Foam head comes off, he flips and he smashes his head on the metal railing which runs all the way around the track at Santos Stadium. Huge gash, I'm pretty sure he completely knocks himself out. Needless to say, the mascot race never happened again because of this thing called Oc Health and Safety and all of those sorts of things. So the ambulance is coming in and it's just this massive schmozzle, which was such, it was such this beautiful idea, this wonderful plan. Everything was working perfectly. It seemed like such a good thing, joy, happiness, excitement, which just ended in utter calamity. And why did it end in calamity? Because one kid got distracted got distracted from the task at hand. He was running a race, eyes on your lane, and in one moment of perceived grandeur, in looking at the crowd, everything went wrong. You know, as we come to Nehemiah and we look at the writings of Paul as well over and over again, he loves to refer to the kingdom life as running a race, doesn't he? Like think, let, let's jump over to 1 Corinthians 9. There's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul uses this same, same language from verse 24. 
Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one runs to get the prize? Run in such a way as to, only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, but they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beat in the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul, over and over again, it's this whole idea of run the race, run it with perseverance, run it strong, like get on with the kingdom work. And the call is don't be distracted, don't be discouraged, don't be set off, of, off your course. And when you come to Nehemiah 6, this is exactly what we're going to see. Because if, if we pick up the narrative, what we've seen so far, Nehemiah gets the call from God. God spurs his heart and, and, and excites him to this vision of building the wall. And so he, he prays and God gives him favor with King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes says, yeah, not only am I giving you the thumbs up, not only am I releasing you, but I'm actually going to give you the stamp of approval so you can go through all the provinces and they know you're my guy. And then more than that, I'm going to resource you. I'm going to give you the wood. I'm going to give you what you need to achieve what I'm calling you to do. Sounds a whole lot like Holy Spirit, doesn't it? That we get resource for the kingdom work. And so he goes knowing he's released, ratified and resourced. And he goes to the people and the people get excited when he starts to say, hey, let's rebuild the wall. And they're like, yeah, come on, work, let's go. And they start building the wall and they build it to half its height and it's glorious and it's wonderful. And we saw that there was Lego everywhere and there's rubble. And, but the wall's going up. But then what we see is what always happens when the kingdom of God starts to advance is that the enemy starts to attack. How many of you know we have an adversary? And so we see the attack. Firstly, we see the attack from outside the gate. Like we see spiritual attack. We see firstly what we would call derision or mockery in chapter two, where they start to mock, how the heck are you going to do this? And then it goes beyond just mockery and it actually becomes aggression. And so we see this like this beautiful moment where Nehemiah rallies the people and they take their stand against the enemy's schemes and they resist the devil, so to speak. And the wall continues. They have the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other. Gee, that's a good passage. I wish I got to preach that here. It's this amazing moment and you think, awesome, they've resisted the enemy and the wall's going to continue. And then you turn the page to the next chapter and you realize he's a little smarter than that. Because there's not just an enemy outside the gate, but when the enemy can't get you from outside the gate, he's going to try and get you from inside. And we see division and corruption. Where the people start to squabble, where the leaders start to be selfish and self-centered and things look like they could fall apart. But again, awesome leadership by Nehemiah. He holds them to biblical account says this is what we're going to do and and he fixes it and they repent and we see the joy of the Lord come in and the work of the wall continues and you think great it's all fixed and it's finished and it's going to be good and then what happens we turn the page and you come to chapter six and you realize that the enemy doesn't always just attack from outside the gate it's not always about just the attack from inside the gate but actually sometimes 
One of the tools of the enemy, Sambala and his crew, is distraction. As we come to this passage, what you're going to see, you're going to see three types of distraction that Nehemiah faced, but that we all face every single day, and especially us in the West. Especially us in the West because we are so wealthy. And Ben spoke so beautifully as he led us in this same space. So we're going we're gonna to dive in. I want you to see this. I want you to see these, the, the, this distraction that's going to come against the people of God. Jump into verse 1 here, chapter 6. When word came to Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Friends, the work is almost done. Do you realize how amazing this is? Like the wall is done it's just missing its gates missing some doors but like the work it's amazing it's so close to being finished and verse 2 Sambala and Geshem sent to me this message come let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono but they were scheming to harm me Here's the first distraction that comes against the people of God. It's the distraction of invitation. The distraction of invitation. There's a couple of ways you can read this. The first one is you can read it through Nehemiah's lens of discernment. We get to read that because we read, this event's happened, so we read in hindsight. Nehemiah, in hearing this invitation from Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, discerns within his spirit that they're out to harm him. I remember Paul Smith When I was in year eight, Paul Smith, he had the undercut, he had the long hair and he had a bad reputation. Anyone got one of those kids at their school when they grew up? And I remember being there year eight, one of my first days of school, sitting around uh, with my friends and Paul Smith was at the boys' toilets with his motley crew and he goes, hey Dave. He's like, come here. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm not sure that's a good idea. There was something within me that just discerned that maybe he was out to do me harm. That just maybe the invitation to go to the boys' toilets with Paul Smith was not going to be something that was going to edify my spirit and build up my character. And there's some things that we all face in life where, where an invitation comes, where an opportunity comes our way, and we immediately discern in our spirit. We go, oh, that's not good. And we learn to say, oh no. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) To oh no. Yeah, we all have negative oh no's in our life, don't we? Hands up if you've been there. Hands up if you've had an opportunity come your way and you just discern in that moment, you're like, oh, there's something not right about this. This is an invitation I know I need to say oh no to. But do you know what the interesting thing is? There's another way of reading this. And I think this is where, particularly for us in the West, where we have to take stock and we have to listen very carefully to the voice of God and we have to understand the call of God upon our lives. Because, yes, we could look at this and through the discernment of Nehemiah and say they meant to do me harm, or you could look at it through the lens of the world and realise that this is a great opportunity. Because what's going on here, historically, uh, is actually, this, is, this is like the, a peace treaty, right? This is a peace treaty offer. Sambala is the governor of Samaria. Nehemiah is the governor of Judah. They are on equal, leving, uh, equal level in, in the kingdom that they are in. 
And so both of them have leadership roles. Sambalat has been coming against and attacking, attacking, attacking Nehemiah. And now instead of just coming against him, he says, hey, 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 let's come have a conversation. This is, this is an opportunity to say, let's make peace with one another. It seems like a good idea. Are you with me? But here's what we have to learn is not every good idea is a God idea. Because the invitation is not that, that Sambalat's going to come to Jerusalem and, and, and develop a, a, a spirit of peace with Nehemiah. No, the invitation is to leave the work of the wall, leave the kingdom and come to Ono. And what you've got to realise is Ono is on the border of Samaria and Judah, about 50 kilometres northwest of the city of Jerusalem which means Ono is not in enemy territory, but it is also not home. Ono is a place of compromise. Come on, Allgate. Ono is a place of compromise. Ono is not the kingdom work of the wall to which Nehemiah was called. It is a big distraction. It is a long way away from where God has called Nehemiah to work and to build and to serve. But it's not like all the way over to Paul Smith with the toilets. It's compromise. It's this place of compromise. It's an invitation to peace. But here's the thing. We've got to remember, what does the wall signify? We've talked about this for six weeks. The wall signifies kingdom shalom. The wall is the means through which the people of God get peace. It's the kingdom of God. Fast forward to New Testament. It's in Christ that we experience peace and not a false, uh, you know, mediocre peace treaty that might last five years, 10 years, 15 years. No, the wall is about this eternal ongoing shalom of God, true lasting kingdom peace. And the temptation on the church is that we go to Ono with the world, that we compromise the call of God for the kingdom just to be at peace with those around us because it's easier and nicer. But Nehemiah says, come on, you can do better than that. He says, oh no, that's not what I am called to. That's not what we are called to. That peace is going to come here. Friends, let me ask you, let me ask you, can we, go, can we have some real talk for five minutes? Is that okay? What invitation do you have before you right now that is drawing you away from the work of the wall? And there's so many things we could look at, particularly for us in the West. Like, let's talk sport. Let's just go there. Sport's great. Like, I love sport. My kids are in, like we do sport almost every night of the week. Sport is a wonderful thing. We talked about building the wall out the front of our own house. We should be engaged in local sports teams. We should be investing in community outreaches that are not just church work. Like we need to be doing all of those things unless it takes us away from the wall. So if that is becoming a greater priority in our lives, if that is taking the place of Christ as the number one priority in our life, then we have a problem. Because instead of us being about the work of the wall and building out the front of our own house so that we would see kingdom shalom, we are being drawn to Ono. And we're neglecting the very thing that God has called us to. Here's another thing for us. 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gentle, but it's true, family. I see this all the time. Family is a gift from God. It is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. But sometimes we become so consumed by wanting to go on family trips or wanting to take the family camping or, or being obsessed with all the needs of our family that we actually stop leading our family in the way they should go. That our family stops being about the kingdom that we stop investing in our children, reading the, the word to our children and praying with our children and teaching our children that actually Jesus Christ comes first. Like my, my youngest, Benji, desperately, he's a good soccer player, he desperately wants to play for Hills Hawks at the moment. But Hills Hawks is on a Sunday morning. He's like, Dad, can I play for Hills Hawks? I say, no. And he goes, why not? Everyone else is playing. I'm like, because... There's something we do on a Sunday morning that's really important. And it's not actually about church. It's about Jesus. Jesus loves his church. And so for us, we're prioritizing this so that you would know that Jesus comes before soccer. So there's lots of other places and times and areas where we can play soccer. And we will. But Jesus comes first. Who remembers Chariots of Fire? Dun, 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 dun. Some of us are a bit old school. <laughs> Eric Liddell, an amazing story. Look him up, Eric Liddell, an Olympic runner, so fast, bit like incredible man of faith and had an opportunity. Does he put his athletics first or does he put Christ first? And in that moment, at an Olympic event, he said, I'm going to put Christ first. I'm going to make a statement to the whole world that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. It's a confronting question for all of us. And we could talk like job opportunities, finance, income. We could talk business. We could talk so many different things. What are the things? We could talk social outings, university. There's a billion things we could say. What invitations seem like good opportunities, but they're actually not God opportunities? What are the things in our life, the invitations that are actually, if we dive into them, distractions from the thing that God has called us to? How do we know? Like, I don't know, Dave. How do I know? Just ask yourself a simple question. In accepting that invitation, is it drawing you near to Christ or is it pushing you away? If it's drawing you and those near to you and those dear to you nearer to Christ, like your family who you lead, if it's drawing you into the heart of Christ, then that's a God invitation. Praise God. Chase after it. If that's pushing you away, if that's causing you to go further from Christ and further from the love of his presence and the love of his word and the love of worship and all these things, then you might need to sit down and have some counsel with Nehemiah. And just maybe just maybe learn to say, oh no. Because that thing's oh no. Number two, have a look at this. So it goes from this invitation and it's a beautiful invitation where it seems to, to the world, like it seems to everyone around, this is this beautiful invitation. Nehemiah discerns it. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with it. Number two, accusation. The second distraction is this distraction of accusation. So he says, I'm not going to go down to you. Verse 4, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message in his hand with an unsealed letter. Unsealed letter. That's an open letter. That's for everyone to read. That's a Facebook troll. 
You know, that's it, I'm making, send, that's out. You know, everyone can read that. That's how I feel. Like this is what he's done. It's this open accusation that it says, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it also. I love that. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come to Ono and let's have a conversation. So it goes from its nice invitation where you could think, oh, that's a nice thing. Yeah, peace, peace is a good idea. Because he discerns it, that it's not of God and he resists it, the next distraction that comes is accusation. The goal being the same thing. Get away from the work of the wall and come to Ono for a conversation. But look at this. This is, this is so funny to me. This is, this, let, me, let me translate that into modern high school English. OMG, can you believe that Gwen told April, who told Janet, that everybody thinks you're a cow? (laughs) Sorry, that's my attempt at 15-year-old. But that's, like, it's that whole idea that so-and-so told so-and-so, who told so-and-so. Now everybody thinks it. How many of you have been in an environment where someone said, oh, everyone thinks this? The nations think that it's reported amongst the nations. And Geshem says it as well. And what so often happens to us is we hear this thing that so-and-so said something to someone who may or may not have said something to somebody else. And now possibly everybody else thinks this same thing about me and we go, oh my gosh, and we throw up our hands and we get so offended and people will ruin friendships and stop going about the thing that God called them to and we like flip out over it and you just think, what are you doing? Stop being offended over such a stupid thing. If it's true... Repent, change direction. If it's not true, who cares? Can I teach you a word? John and Jenny learnt it the other day. Can I teach you a word? This word's going to change your life. Are you ready? Whatever. (laughs) It's one of the most powerful things. When someone says, oh, this person said this or they think that and they think that and now everyone thinks this, you just go, whatever. Let me teach you an Australian version. Righto. <laughs> so powerful. It's seriously one of the most powerful things. I've had this happen to me multiple times in ministry. I had someone ring me up in the early days when we first started saying, rah, 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 rah. And he said, everyone, the whole, everyone's going to leave the church. The church is in rah, rah, rah. And at the time, I was like a little bit younger and still learning. And I was thinking, oh, no, the whole church is in trouble. So I rung like 55 people one day. And I was like, what are you thinking? And everyone's like, no, we love it. So I rung the guy back and I was like, What you say is not true. Now, what I wish I'd said was, whatever. (laughs) Because if if it's true, we not like if it's true, then we've got to change, we repent. And that's not the words of an enemy, that's the words of a friend. And the Bible has lots to say about that. That the the rebuke of an enemy, uh, the rebuke of a friend is a good thing. 
We need those people in our life. But when these words of an enemy come against us, stop being offended. The church should not be a place of offense. Offense leads to bitterness and bitterness leads to brokenness. And there's no place for people who are living the kingdom life to live in offense. Forgive and move on. Here's what I love about Nehemiah's response. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. How does he know that? Because the king sent him. I'm going to get passionate in a minute, Olgay. <laughs> the accusation is we're going to go to the king. I'm going to tell mum. <laughs> mum told me to do it. Like, you know what I mean? That's what's happening here. The king, we're going to go to the king. And Nehemiah, I think Nehemiah is laughing with this response. I reckon he's like, you guys are idiots. Like, the king is the very one who released, ratified and resourced me for this task. See the wood that I've got? It's got the king's stamp on it. There you go, champ. Keep on carrying on. Like when we know whose we are, we're not impacted by the lies of the world. And the church people of God need to get their identity right. Got to get it in our souls so that when lies come, and especially young people today, in today's age where there are these internet Trolls, everyone's posting stuff, doing ridiculous things. Who cares what they say? You're a king's kid. It doesn't matter if you're 75 or 15. You are a king's kid if you are in Christ. Therefore, your identity is Him. Therefore, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. And therefore, those words just fall off. It doesn't matter what they say. Whatever. Say it loud and proud. That wasn't loud or proud. Say it loud and proud. Whatever. Whatever. Know who you are. Know who you are. If you are in Him, then you are His child. And the lies of the enemy, they are just lies. So don't hold on to them. Chuck them to the ground. Stomp them underfoot. Declare the truth of God over your life. I'm on the king's mission. Number three, we've got to keep moving. Invitation, accusation. The third thing that happens is intimidation. After he says... Nothing like what you're saying. Verse 9, they're all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And then one day I went to the house of that Shemaiah, son of Del- Del- Deliah, the son of... Yeah, um, <laughs> who was shut in at his house. Steve read it better than I did. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple... And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him. 
but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambala had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name and discredit me. So here's the third thing. Starts with an invitation, then it becomes an accusation. But if we continue with the kingdom work and don't buy into it, so often accusations will become intimidation. Yeah? It just starts to get a little bit nasty. And the goal of intimidation is to strike fear into the hearts of the people of God and to cause us to sin against God. A couple more minutes and then we're going to close. Notice at the beginning of this, Nehemiah made the comment to Sambala, I will not go down to you. Have you noticed what I said before that is that Ono is 50 kilometers northwest I will not go down to you. Ono's northwest. Last time I checked my geography, north is up. Isn't that interesting? You see, Jerusalem sits on the highest place, but I think there's more to that. I think that's actually speaking about this whole idea of how we can stoop down to someone's level and we can buy into their nonsense or we can stand firm on the truth of God. We can play their games or we can get on with the work of the wall. And when intimidation comes, the desire within our flesh, within each one of us, is to stoop down to their level and pick a fight where they're picked a fight. Are you with me? Or who's more holy than I am? That's the desire of the flesh. It wants to do that. But Nehemiah says, I'm not going to go down to you. I'm not going to go play those games that you're playing. I'm not going to buy into intimidation. I'm certainly not going to go into the temple and hide away because I'm not a priest and I'm not even allowed in there. So to do that is a sin that will probably actually lead to my death because of the sheer holiness of God. And so I'm certainly not going to go and sin against God by buying into your fear and intimidation tactics. Why should such a man as me run and hide? Again, know who you are. Intimidation does not work when we're strong in who we are in Christ. It makes me think of Ephesians 6. Who's with me? Ephesians 6, the armour of God. Yes, the enemy's going to come against. It is a distraction. And so he says, put on the armour of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Know the truth. Have your mind being renewed by the Word of God. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have a strong, righteous heart in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The belt of truth. Walk in the truth. Know the truth. Read the Bible. I say this like every single week, but friends, God has given us His Word. He has spoken. Are we reading it? Are we meditating on it? Are we chewing on it? Is it informing our thoughts and our hearts? Is it, is it giving us the wisdom to discern Ono oh from kingdom? Fix our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Walk in grace. When they come with intimidation, notice Nehemiah doesn't send an army against him. He doesn't fire barbs at him. He sends, just politely sends back his, his aid, sends back his aid, sends back his aid. No, I'm not going down. No, I'm not going down. He maintains good political relationship, but he just doesn't buy into it. We walk with the gospel of peace. We, we walk in grace. We walk love, truth in love. 
And there's nothing more infuriating for someone who wants to tear you down when you meet their hatred with love. When someone's out to get you in a workplace and you just keep loving them and you bring them a coffee in the morning. It's one of the greatest things you can do. Sounds a lot like Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. It says, pick up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Flaming arrows, those thoughts. Faith, resist those thoughts. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, how many of you know that it's not just the Word, it's a sword? Swing it. God didn't give us a sword to keep it in the sheath. He gave us a sword that we'd be like, on guard. You with me? Oh, it gets me excited. Do you know what I love about the end of Ephesians 6? Is we often stop at the sword, but the armour doesn't stop there because it says, and pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Prayer is a part of the armour of God. Notice what Nehemiah does when the accusation comes. Lord, strengthen my hands. What is that? That's a prayer. Dan, can you come and play for us and we'll close her up? That's a prayer. Sometimes I think one of the lies we believe is that our prayers have to be super eloquent and really, like, smart. They don't. Sometimes a simple prayer is, Lord, strengthen my hands. If that's all you got, that's all you got. A couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with a, a dear friend, member of our church, who's going through a really difficult time. And he said to me, Dave, he goes, I don't have a lot to say to God anymore, but I am on my knees. I was so moved by that because I was like, that's a prayer. Prayer is a posture of an open heart before a holy God. Maybe you sit down and maybe you spout off Spurgeon's, you know, theses on whatever. Or maybe all you have is help. That's okay. That's a weapon. God doesn't distinguish between the weapon based on the quality of the words. He just wants the posture of the heart. And that's a part of the weapon. And here's the key. When the enemy comes to distract us with invitation, accusation, intimidation, how does Nehemiah stand? What causes him to stand? The answer is in verse 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great work and I cannot go down to you. I am carrying on a great work. Do we realise that how important the wall is? The wall is shalom. There is no shalom outside of the kingdom. That is the solution. The, the, the kingdom of God is the only hope for the world. Do we agree with that, church? The kingdom of God is the only hope for a broken world. That is why we need Christ. That is why we worship Him. That is why we profess Him to be Lord and Saviour. When we declare that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is because He is truly the only hope that the world has. 
And here's the thing. Remember, Nehemiah is the messianic type. So he calls us to this great work, but it's the work that Jesus has done is what we're talking about. That Jesus is the one who built the wall. He is the one who established the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And in this part where it says Nehemiah hadn't put the doors in place, guess what Jesus did? He became the door. He became the very gate. He Himself became the door in the wall. And how do we enter into the kingdom? How do we enter into Shalom? Through the door, through His body, His living sacrifice, His sacrifice for us that we would know the shalom of God. And He has done this. He has done the work. He has established the wall. And then He's given of His Spirit to His church that we might proclaim that there is a hope. And that hope is not in Ono. It's not. The hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so we have to stop running to Ono, trying to fix everything over here in our own strength. We have to say, oh no to Ono. And we have to get on with the work of the wall. And we have to realise that it is all about Him. And this is why Paul says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on the crowd. even though we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know what distractions are in your world. I don't know what you're going through. But as we sing this last song, my encouragement to everyone here, my prayer for each and every one of us is that today would be a day of fixing our focus. That today would be a day of turning away from Ono, turning to the work of the wall and inviting the world the kingdom of God. May we be a church that is not distracted by good opportunities, but may we be driven by God opportunities. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you. For Nehemiah, we thank you that it's so much more than a, an old story from the pages of history. We thank you that it has so much to say about your call for us and your promises to us in Christ. Lord, may we look to you. Father, may we not buy into the distractions of this world, though they are many. May we be kingdom-minded. And like Nehemiah, may we be a people who seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, knowing that all these things shall be added unto us. 
Lord, you've given us a great work to do. Strengthen our hands. Strengthen our hands. Embolden our hearts and set our gaze that we would not be moved to the left or to the right, but we would run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That we would run to win the prize so that like Paul in his letter to Timothy, when we get to the end, we get to the end, we will be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. And we get to lay that at your feet too. Let us be driven by eternity, we pray. Let us be so consumed with your kingdom that we cannot help but proclaim the glory of that kingdom all over the world. That the Sambalats, the Geshems and the Tobias would have their hearts turned and convicted. That they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. So Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender this church afresh to you because it is yours. We ask that you would build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.